Good morning, church. It's a good day to be together. Um, we're going to be all over Scripture today, but we're going to start with where our service started in John chapter 12, verse 12 uh, through 19. So I'll read to you, and you can follow along or turn there in your Scripture as we get started today. John 12, verse 12 says this, The next day a large crowd had come to the feast, and they'd heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey, and he sat on it, and he, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things that had been written about him and had been done to him. And the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason the crowd went to meet him was they heard he had done this sign. Verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, Look, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. I don't know if you've ever gotten caught on a point before, um, but as I was preparing for this week, uh, even Monday, just reading through this passage again, just such a familiar passage, found myself tripping over verse 19. All this is going on, and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the Jewish faith, the ones who are living for the Lord and supposed to be helping the people anticipate the coming of the Messiah, when prophecy is being fulfilled, this is what they say, you see, you are gaining nothing Look, the world has gone after him. And that triggered a, a, a series of thoughts throughout the week for me because I just started to think, Lord, what would it be like if the world actually went after you? If, if the world literally left behind what we were chasing after, what we were looking after, and we went up and, and left for him, what would that look like? And this year, we're going to spend a lot of time as we plan, as we look through Scripture about these things. But it brought back a memory. I was been raised kind of all over the South, but we spent five years in Panama City, Florida. And this was back in the 80s. We lived there from 1981 to 86 or 87, right in there. As we lived there, uh, we would go down to Panama City Beach. That was before there was much on Panama City Beach. Destin was just beach. There was nothing built there that wasn't happening. And we would go uh, to the amusement park. There was a, an old amusement park called Miracle Strip Amusement Park. And there was a, 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 a new, a really new water park called Shipwreck Island back in 82 or 83. But on our way there, you'd park, and as you're walking, you would come by these open-air arcades that basically just had a roof and garage doors, right? And you had all these arcade games. So when you would go in the arcade games, I remember, I don't remember much about the amusement park. I don't remember much about Shipwreck Island. But I'll tell you what, this one open-air arcade on the corner, when you walked in, dead center was a wall of heaven on earth. Skee-ball. Are y'all with me? Like, I just, I have vivid memories of these skee-ball games. And skee-ball is, it's fun. If you don't know what skee-ball is, you can Google it later on. If I explained it to you, you would look like a weird elephant. But, but as we go through, the reason to play skee-ball was this, right? Because for every $712 you put in a machine, you could get tickets out. And if you played skee-ball poorly, you know what would happen? Like, two pop out. 
Now, I don't know about you, and, and on these they weren't, but growing up, our tickets had something written on the bottom. Very fine print. And it said, cash value less than what? If you remember, one what? One hundredth of a cent. So a hundred tickets equal a penny. And every game cost a quarter. That was like before inflation. Now it's like three children and a dinner. I don't know. But, but you put it in. But this, when this came out, do you know what my face looked like? Oh, do you know what I wanted to see? The times when I would do it and it would just be going. I'd be like, y'all, come check it out. This is amazing. Do you know what I could buy with that many tickets? Like three pixie sticks. Like, that's what I could do. $14. <laughs> I wanted my pockets filled with worthlessness. It made me so excited to think that I have, I mean, I can, are you having flashbacks? Like you running up like, look, and your parents are like, oh, 30 bucks. That's awesome. So good. Proud, proud of you, honey. <laughs> you know? And the bad thing is some of you are like, you, you're taking to your kids to Chuck E. Cheese and your husband's like, look, and you're like, have you not grown up yet? <laughs> Same thing still applies. I thought about the Pharisees and I thought about the way we view life. And I thought when they're saying, look, they're all going after Jesus. I wonder if they were looking at their hands at all the tickets they had been building up to, to impress God with. All, all the work, all the riches, all, all the planning, all the respect, all the hope. And they are realizing in this moment, Jesus proves this is all worthless. Church, I started to consider what they would have felt like when they said, we will gain nothing. What would it be if nothing was what we were left with when we followed Jesus. So I started to, to look into it. When I read these words, you see you're gaining nothing. It really just means what's the benefit that we're gonna have? We're gonna lose our benefits. We're gonna lose what we've got. We've got all this stuff we've been doing. And so I just started to write down, what do I not gain when I follow Jesus? If, if the world goes after Jesus, what do we no longer have the benefit of holding on to? What, what do we no longer have in our hands? And so I started scribbling and looking through Scripture. And, and so we're going to bounce around in Scripture today because there's tons of things that we no longer benefit from when we follow Jesus. And the first one I thought about is in Psalm 103. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Psalm 103. In the word. As David writes this psalm out, I want you to hear just his heart and his love. We'll just read 103, we'll read the first five verses, and we'll kind of skip down a little bit um, to stay engaged with it. The Bible says this Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, bless the 
your name. Verse 2, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. Who forgives all your inequity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, as far so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion for his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Verse 14, for he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. Church, just as you walk back into this second verse of 103, do you see what David records as the first benefit of following after, after the Lord? He who forgives our inequities. Our, our inequities are the ways that we have wronged God. We no longer, if we follow Christ, we no longer have the benefit, church, of living a damaged life. I mean, David has been running, he's been hiding. He's not been perfect. He's fallen into sin. He, he is not our picture of how to live your life without any scrapes and bruises. David's got a tough life here. And what he says here is the greatest benefit. The first thing I can tell you is God forgives all of the things that we've done wrong against him. In other words, all the ways I have damaged our relationship, all the ways I have damaged my life, all the things I've put between me and him, I guess I don't have that benefit anymore. Church, there's something to realizing the value of our life. There's something to realize that we, we can hold on to this worry in our life, this brokenness in our life. Sometimes brokenness is the only thing we know that gives us value. So as I, I scribbled about this this week, as I started writing through it, I just started to wonder what, what this means because when we talk about following Christ and the joy of following Christ, I just wrote, how is it that people who have been abused, people who have been uh, taken from, people who have penny, no pennies in their pocket, how is it people that are persecuted are living with joy and value in their life? see, when we try to hold on to our damage, what we really do is we collect all of our tickets and we give them to Jesus and we say, Jesus, would you just please make it worth something? Would you just, all that I've done for you, would you make it worth something? I mean, ladies, that would be like you slapping your, your husband every morning as hard as you could as a good morning. And at the end of the year saying, you know what? I know you hated that and that damaged our relationship, but would you just tell me what was good about it? Your husband's going to say nothing. So I, I'm not asking you to turn a wrong into a right. I'm asking you to forgive me for valuing the garbage in my life more than you. You see, what damaged way of thinking says is poor pitiful me until God turns my rags into riches, my tickets into something valuable then I don't know life. Church, that's not what David says. 
He says, you have the benefit of walking into God hands-free, no longer carrying all of your wrongs, all of your trespasses, all the things that you have done against God. Your benefit is you're not damaged. He has healed you, and his love and his power have made you his own. Church, there's this thinking that we have to get away from when we realize that God has left us undamaged, that he's made us new. And that is asking the Lord that we walk with him in a way that we couldn't walk with him on our own. Look at verse 4, 11, uh, 12 and 13 in, in Psalm 103. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who love him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. God says, if you are mine, if you have gone up to follow me, like the crowds visibly did as they left behind this religious ticket system of the Pharisees, if you are leaving him behind, then your sins are forgiven. It's not that he's just made them valuable. He has taken your junk, thrown it out, and made your life something. Church, you don't have to taste sin to know grace. That was the message that God was telling Adam and Eve in the garden. You don't need to take a bite of that fruit of the knowledge of good and evil in order to know how good I am. When you take a bite of that tree, you just realize how, how bad you are away from me, how worthless you are away from me, how much value you really have without me. So he says, the benefit I give you is that when you follow me, I remove your sin as far as the east is from the west. And David's language here is basically saying they're impossible, they'll never touch. That it's removed like the heavens are above from the earth. I'm not just redeeming them. I'm redeeming you and those tickets. I'm removing from your life, church. God, when you follow hard after Jesus, when you live for him, the picture is this, that God heals you and there are no lingering effects. His healing is complete and whole. In verse 4, he redeems your life from the pit and he crowns you with steadfast love and mercy who satisfies you with good. The Pharisees are right. When you and I follow hard after Jesus, when we leave our life, our ticket stash behind, we don't carry the burden that sin has done to our life any longer because it's given to Jesus Christ. And as I was reading this passage, I don't know about you, have you ever had one thought that leads you to another thought? It's completely different on another, another end of the world. All the engineers in the room are like, I don't know what you're talking about. Exactly. Look at verse 14 in chapter 103. This is what it says. For he knows our frame. He knows how we were made. Do you know that? Like the fact that God knows your frame, he knows your spiritual frame, your emotional frame, your physical frame. It, I, I then started Googling. You, you, you know what this passage made me Google? Some of you are like, Pastor, 
Good, your quiet time's like my quiet time. How much does the average high school backpack weigh? You, you like that? Do you see that's an easy jump? Because my son goes to school and lockers line the hallway. No one's allowed to use the lockers. So everything's in his backpack. And his backpack, you know, right? I mean, it's like, it's like he's going camping for a month every day. So I looked. The average high schooler weighs 105 to 150 pounds. The average high school backpack, I'm like, the small one, is 12 to 20 pounds. And then I weighed my backpack at the house, and it weighed 17, and Connor's is twice as big as mine. I thought, oh my goodness. Could you imagine 105-pound freshman starting school, 20-pound backpack? Do your principals know your frame? No. I just thought, if, if people knew, like, you were made different than you, and you were made different than you, then, then the, sa- the burden on your back wouldn't be the same. I mean, I'm figuring if you walk around at 105 with a 25 to 30-pound backpack on your back, it's probably going to cause some doctor visits later on in life. Like, that, that can't be healthy for you. Someone who had the idea that that's the way to move it around, did they know your frame? The God who knows the frame of his children, if we go up after him, I don't think he designed us to carry around such baggage. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. If you have your Bible, you can turn there with me. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. The Bible says this. This is Christ talking as he visits with his disciples. He's declaring for his people just what he will do. Verse 28 says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you know when you follow Jesus Christ, by his words, not behind, there is one thing you do not have the benefit of carrying around anymore, the baggage of your life. You are not the hero, you are not the problem solver. You're not responsible for everything that everyone puts in it. You aren't responsible for your dreams. You're not responsible for for where you've been or where you're going. All those things, Jesus says, that burden, if you're worn out, if you're 105 carrying around a 30-pound backpack of of expectations or sin or whatever, I, I just want you to take it off and I want you to put it down. And I want you to take my burden, my burdens, and put on your shoulders because they're light. Your frame was not made to carry around the baggage of your life and everybody else's life for all eternity. He made you so that you could enjoy a rest, a light burden, an easy burden that is his. I remember looking at this passage of scripture in college. I was at Houston's First Baptist on a weekend, probably during the summer. And they had a singles thing, and so I was going to it and uh, had a little paper pamphlet they filled out sermon notes in. I don't remember who the speaker was, but they got my attention that night on this passage, and they started talking about a yoke. 
And a yolk, if you don't know what it is, it's not an egg yolk. Jesus isn't trading out eggs or something like that. It's basically a collar that would go on an ox to pull a cart. And I remember him, him saying, they actually make what's called a double yolk. And you would put an older and a younger animal together. The older one knew the way, and he would make the way easier on the younger by teaching him, and the younger would carry more of the load and make it easier on the older. And, and I remember thinking, that's a beautiful picture of discipleship, of how we work together, and it is, but that's not what Jesus does for us. What he basically says is, give me all of your heaviness, give me all of your burden, give me all of your baggage, leave all of that behind. And you just take what I have made you for, what I have designed you for. Yesterday's baggage, yesterday's temptation, give it up. You don't have to go to Galon, you don't have to find your strength somewhere inside you rest and you find your strength in me. If the whole world goes up after Jesus, we're no longer bound to the ticket system. I mean, have you thought about what the Pharisees were doing? Luke chapter 11, verse 46, Jesus says these to the Pharisees. He says, woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with your fingers church let me tell you a secret the company that first printed tickets they knew it was a gimmick you know that they knew at the end of the day that people would spend hundreds and thousands of millions of dollars on worthlessness that thousands of kids would get spankings amen Thousands of tears would be cried, vacations ruined, gathering worthlessness that, that you could stuff in your bag, prove who you are, prove where you've been. They, they didn't design it thinking of you, they designed it thinking of them. Church, the Pharisees, when they added things on to the word of God, when they put it in there, they designed it thinking of them, not of the people. Yet somehow, somewhere along the way, we have learned to feel comfortable with our burdens. And so we ask Jesus as we follow him, don't make me leave it behind, but make me strong enough to carry it. That, doesn't that sound very manly to you men? God, just make me strong enough to carry the burden. God will never give you something more than you can bear. The second half of that verse is, he'll provide a way of escape if you need to because you don't need to be crushed for the heck of it. That's the David Adams standard. We just feel like we're more comfortable with our baggage. Because if I don't have my story to tell, if I don't talk about how I've been wronged or how I've been, or my expectations or what I'm living for or what my parents have put on me or what my heart has put on me or what, what the plans are, if, if I don't carry that around, then who am I? Church, if you get up and leave the world behind and you follow Jesus as was being visibly demonstrated as he came into town, then you have to understand, you have to give up the benefit of carrying baggage. God didn't design your back for that. He didn't design your soul for it. 
So come to me, you who are weary laden, and I will give you rest. Lay it down. You are more than the expectations of your life. You are more than the circumstances around you. Church, I started thinking, if the whole world were to go up after Jesus, and we were really to understand that in Christ, we are not damaged. And, and in Christ, not only are we not damaged, we have no baggage to, to carry around with us. We are all that we are made to be. What does that mean? Jesus, when he commissioned his disciples, he had been walking with them. He had been going with them. He had been telling them about how he was the healer. He had called Zacchaeus out of the, the world. He called Matthew out of the tax collecting world. He called James and John out of the fishing boat. All these family expectations. He's pulled everything out. No damage, no baggage. And he sends them out on his mission. Matthew, one page over, chapter 10, verse 26. So he's sending them out and he says, listen, have no fear of them for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known what i tell you in the dark say in the light and what you hear whispered proclaim the housetops don't fear those who kill the body but can't fill the soul rather feel him who can destroy both soul and body in hell are not two sparrows sold for a penny are not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father but even the hairs on your head are numbered fear not therefore you are more value than many sparrows so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do you know what the benefit is of going after Christ? Is there is nothing to fear anymore. There, there's literally no fear. I mean, church in this world, we just measure life in tickets. And if you follow hard after Jesus, Jesus says, okay, so they take your house. This is worthless. So, so they come after your, your reputation. Live in such a way that it's about my approval, not theirs. So, so they come after you with threats of physical violence. So they take all of your money. So your health is, is wrestling. So all of these things, people are threatening to just take all of these worthless ticks out of your life. Do you know what? I could tear these up for days. I'm not having an anxiety attack. Are you with me? Any adult in the room, have you felt anxious that I keep just treating these like they're worthless? kids different story of course not because you know you know this is worthless see what Jesus tells his disciples is that if you leave behind and you come up after me you no longer have to fill your hands with the fears of life that's why David can say in Psalm 139, search me and know me. I just, I want you to pull out, make it known what, what evil's inside of me because I'm not afraid because I'm in your hands. It's how Paul would write, I'm the worst sinner out of all the people you'll ever meet. I'm the worst sinner. And then he would say, but I'm trying so hard to follow after Christ that just imitate me. If you don't know what to do, just imitate me. How could he say, I am the worst sinner? 
and in another breath say, but imitate me because he's not afraid of the damage in his life being broken. He's not afraid of the baggage of his life being exposed. Jesus has unloaded him from those benefits. The benefit of secrets and hidings, the extras in his life, all of it. He says they're just worthless tickets. You see, when this was all being written, the Romans cared about tickets in your life and they would threaten you with violence. They treated the Jews like garbage. They were in an oppressive government that didn't uh, uphold the values of God. Everything that we would, we would think is unholy, the Roman culture embraced. And when Jews spoke up against it, when Christians spoke up against it, physical threat. Don't stand up. Don't turn around. Don't look at us. The Pharisees were sneakier. The Pharisees in their life, they would say, listen to me. You don't want to be angry and have God angry at you. So not only should you follow him, but you should follow all of our rules that keep you from it. The intimidation of tradition and valuing your tradition is just as important as valuing scripture. Why? Because tradition keeps you safe from scripture, from falling off the cliff. Here's what Jesus doesn't do. He doesn't make a way for you to hold on to your tickets and follow hard after him. In fact, he would tell you very easily, just open your hands and be, don't be afraid. Church, when I read this passage, he's making it very clearly. What I tell you in the dark, don't be afraid to say in the light. Are you afraid of what you're worth to me? Here's birds. They're not even worth much. They're like tickets. And I know all about them. How much more are you worth to me than them? The Pharisees standing there on that Palm Sunday. Jesus coming down the mountain. <clears throat> I wish I could show it to you. The Pharisees are on the Temple Mount watching. There's a valley between the Mount of Olives and the Temple Mount. And you could stand at the, the top of the Temple Mount and you could see very clearly the crowds of people lining this zigzagged street down and that would eventually go up. You would see that the valley was full, people in trees. You would see that the shouting, you would hear the songs. Hosanna would be easy, and you could see it without being in it. And here they stand with all their tickets. Saying, what's the benefit of that? What do we have if the world goes after him? Church, we have way more than the few things that I've talked about today. But there's a real word in Scripture, Matthew chapter 26, or 16, excuse me, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 through 27 says this. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would, would go after him, 
Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life must lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, all the tickets, and forfeits his soul? What shall a man return and give in return for his soul? Listen, the Son of Man is going to come. He's going to come with his angels and the glory of this Father, and he will repay each person according to what he has done. Church, Jesus makes it really clear. Either we follow after him and we give up the benefits that you're living for, or on the day when he returns, everyone holding the ball of tickets as their present to the King of Kings will be judged and separated by their own confession. So give up the benefit of judgment. Give up the benefit of fear. Give up the benefit of damage. Give up the benefit of baggage. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him. Would you pray with me? Father God, we love you. Lord, it's really tough. Lord, I, we laugh about it, but we know the excitement of children collecting worth, worthless tickets and presenting them as a trophy. God, that is what we have been doing since the fall of man in the garden. Lord, we have a choice to be the Pharisees up maybe in the temple or the people on the streets. God, as we look around our lives, Lord, we don't want a part of these tickets. Lord, I don't want to waste another moment ascribing value or asking you to ascribe value to them. So at least it redeems some of my works. God, I don't need or want you to redeem anything I've ever done. I just want you to redeem me. Father God, in this room, there are men and women who do not know your redemption. They've come to you with tickets and they've written your name on a lot of them. They've written good things on a lot of them. Lord, in this moment, you know they're worthless. So, Father God, what if there's a single person in this room that doesn't know you? Would you allow them to deny themselves their works, their damage, their baggage, their fear, and take up the symbol of their faith? cross, the confession of Christ Jesus, dying to self, and to give their life to you completely, following hard after their Savior. You know our frame. Lord, let us be who you've made us to be in Jesus' name.